Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, incredible incident which has been preserved for us in your word, and we pray that as we reflect on it together, you would indeed speak to us through it and help us to see the timeless truths uh, which are at work in this incident and this interaction of Jesus with this poor woman, we ask. Amen. Twelve years. Twelve years. She could not believe that it had gone on now for twelve years. For twelve years, she had watched the fabric of her life slowly disintegrate. Uh, Physically, she was literally bleeding to death. She had seen her strength and health slowly ebb away. She noticed how over the previous years, she had felt increasingly tired and weak. Uh, People no longer commented on how pale and drawn she looked, but she could see it in their eyes. That knowing look of disdain mixed with a hint of sympathy was a constant reminder to her that she was defiled. She was unclean. She was untouchable. She knew that she felt fell foul of the uncleanness laws, and she was all too familiar with those passages in Leviticus. The effects of being richly unclean had been devastatingly far-reaching. It had ruined her life. At first, her husband had been very supportive. However, as time had worn on and her condition had persisted, his patience and his support had waned. If she even touched him, he became richly unclean. Hence, any physical intimacy was out of the question. And eventually, the dreaded day arrived when he served the divorce papers on her. Socially, she had become isolated and abandoned. Her friends no longer invited her around to their houses. They knew that if she even sat on the same chair as her, that that they would become richly unclean. It was difficult for her to go out in public, since even the casual touch of a brushing past somebody was enough to make them defiled. But the nail in the coffin was her exclusion from the temple. She couldn't even go there now to worship God. She was cut off from God and from society. And she felt very alone, very isolated, very rejected, and very depressed. Sleep was the only relief, but when she woke with the morning light, the crushing reality returned. In the beginning, her husband had been willing to pay for her to see some of the best medical specialists of her day. However, none had had any success, and yet they still charged their extortionate fees. Bulk billing was not an option. In later years, since the divorce, she had become more desperate She'd used up all her remaining precious financial reserves on less orthodox healers. Yet far from being of any help, her condition had actually worsened. On the one hand, she felt it was unjust. What had she done to deserve this? Her condition was due to no fault of her own. But as her family and her friends had repeatedly reminded her, the purpose of these laws was symbolic. It wasn't due to anything that she had done, but her condition was effectively a symbol. It was God's way of reminding his people of how sin had made them all defiled in the presence of their holy God. And what a powerful and a poignant reminder it was 
the visible reality pointing to the invisible reality. Their uncleanness laws taught them that as long as people were defiled by sin, they could not enter God's presence. In the early years, she had held on to the theology of all of it, but by now she'd become jaded and her hope was all gone. Yet of late, she had started to hear reports of a new amazing healer. And with every new story, there was a flutter of hope in her heart. His range of expertise seemed to know no bounds. Whatever condition confronted him yielded. He healed blind people, deaf people, crippled people, even leprous people. He healed children, he healed adults. His success rate was 100%. She had never heard of anyone coming away disappointed. But the thing which puzzled her the most was that he didn't charge. Not a penny. She was all too painfully aware how expensive medical services were. If he wanted to, he could have made a fortune, but instead he offered his services totally free, gratis. He seemed to be motivated by something completely different, motivated by compassion and love for people. Something that had been sadly increasingly in short supply in her experience of the last 12 years. She knew this man was her only hope. She had to go to him, but how? That was her dilemma. The problem was that he was hugely popular. He was always surrounded by stacks of people. How could she get an appointment with him? She would cause uproar if she mixed with the general public. He had healed people with a word and a touch of his hand. He clearly had the power of God. She knew she wasn't supposed to touch anyone. However, she reasoned that if she could just touch him, she was sure that she would be healed, that she could access that power. And then it dawned on her. Maybe, just maybe, the jostling crowd were not just a threat to her, but also the opportunity. Maybe therein lay the answer. Because in the crowd, she could remain unnoticed. In the crowds, she could be anonymous. All she had to do was to get close enough to touch him. And that was it. She would disguise herself and she would approach him secretly. She put on her cloak and shawl and she slipped out the back door into the alley and then merged with her thronging crowds in the street. When she found Jesus, the crowd was bigger than she had thought. He was on his way to a man's house to heal her daughter. At least the crowd was moving and it made it easier for her to discreetly weave her way through the masses of people. She edged closer and closer towards Jesus. And after a short while, she was nearing her goal. She could hear Jesus' voice, but the crowd was now tightly compressed. Many of them were taller than she was. She could see very little. Every now and then, she would catch a glimpse of Jesus. Finally, she thrust her arm between the last inner cordon of people. And as her hand wavered around, initially it dangled in the air, but then something remarkable happened. Her hand felt some material, the hem of a garment. She grasped it, and as she did so, a tingling sensation passed through her entire body. 
suddenly she realized the pain and the nausea that had become the background noise to her life had ceased. Immediately she felt stronger. She knew she had touched Jesus. And she knew that she was healed. She started to pull back, to slip away, to make her escape. But suddenly the crowd stopped shuffling forward. And then she heard those words that made her heart stop. Who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? She paused. She knew that Jesus was referring to her. But she was almost paralyzed with fear. She felt a rising sense of panic. Somehow she'd been discovered. And she was in trouble now. She'd broken the law. She, a defiled woman, had touched Jesus. That had made him surely unclean. What about the crowd? She had touched many of them. How are they going to feel when they realize an unclean woman had been in their midst? They were going to be hostile. Would Jesus even retract the healing because he had disobeyed the law? She remained where she was. She remained hidden and motionless in the heaving mass. If she didn't own up, maybe, surely he wouldn't persist. She waited. Her heart leapt with hope as she heard the disciples responding with incredulity. You see the people crowding against you, they said, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Yet Jesus didn't move on. And then her heart sank as she heard his voice again. Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. It was no use. She pushed her way through the crowd and she fell at his feet and she poured out her whole sorry saga. And with trembling voice, she recounted the years of suffering under her condition. And she confessed her belief that he had the power to help her if only she could touch him. A brief silence hung in the air. And then she heard those words of comfort and balm. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Her despair was transformed to delight. Her hopelessness to happiness. What an incredible moving encounter of this poor, destitute woman with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What does Jesus say to the defiled, to those who are unclean? You see, before Jesus, before Jesus met this woman, her plight was utterly hopeless. Her unceasing blood flow made her ritually and perpetually unclean. Now, uh, the term unclean, it was a, a spiritual term. It categorized a person's state before God. Uh, because God was utterly holy and pure, it meant that an unclean person was unfit to be in a holy God's presence. As we've seen, the prophet Isaiah felt the tension uh, as we read earlier. Isaiah 6, verse 7. Woe to me, he says, I am ruined, 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The section I read in Leviticus was a part of a whole section of the uncleanness laws. And these detailed when a person became unclean. And the message from these laws was, stop. Uh, they were like the red warning light on the car dashboard. Uh, they indicated that something was wrong. Do not proceed any further until you are purified. Now, in the case of a, a woman's period, uh, purification could happen seven days after her period had finished. And then she had to offer a sacrifice. But here was this woman's problem. The bleeding never stopped. Uh, her symptoms actually suggest that she was suffering from a tumour in her womb, although there wasn't the medical expertise to diagnose that at the time. And the bleeding went on and on and on. And her uncleanness, therefore, went on and on and on. And she was hopelessly, permanently defiled. And it had utterly ruined her life, relationally, financially, socially, and spiritually. What was the purpose of these uncleanness laws? Well, they were to act as a visible sign of an invisible reality. Uh, maybe you've seen uh, photos of miners in the old days when they used to go down the mines. They used to take with them a poor little bird, a canary in a cage. I think we have a photo here. We did have a photo. Never mind. Imagine in your eyes a black and white photo with a grubby-faced miner with a little canary in a cage. They used to take them down the, down the mines, of course, because in those days uh, they didn't have sophisticated equipment and they didn't know when there were dangerous gases uh, seeping into the mining chamber deep underground. Uh, and often, of course, lethal gases could do that. And yet, the canary was there, they keep an eye on him, and when the canary stopped chirping and lay dead on the floor of the cage, they knew things were not good. They needed to get out of there as quickly as possible. And therefore, the canary acted as a visible sign of an invisible reality. There he is. Little canary, poor little guy. Acted as a visible sign of an invisible reality. And that's what these uncleanness laws were. The uncleanness laws act as a visible sign of the invisible, deadly reality of that most lethal of the gases, sin. And when we enter the woman's world, we feel the weight, don't we, of her predicament, the tragedy of her destitution. And yet, her state brings home to each of us our predicaments before a holy God. Because without Christ, before a holy God, we are all permanently defiled. Without Christ, that woman's hopeless state is the lot of each and every one of us. And our best attempts at self-purifying ourselves are utterly futile. Uh, the prophet Isaiah saw this clearly. Uh, Isaiah 64, he said, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Now, the uh, English translation has been sanitized somewhat there. 
you translate it literally, it would say, like, used menstrual cloths. That's a bit disgusting, isn't it? But it brings home how filthy our righteous acts are before God when we try and use them to justify ourselves, to purify ourselves before Him. You see, with God, there are no degrees of uncleanness which can get past His holiness security cordon. Uh, Most people realize they're not perfect, but many people today assume that, hey, a degree of imperfection will be acceptable to God. Uh, They think that somehow they'll be able to wing it into heaven. Uh, Maybe uh, you're familiar with that uh, iconic film, Ghostbusters 2, released in 1989. I can see a few smiles on faces. Uh, A classic film, in the opinion of many. Uh, Peter Venkman was played by Bill Murray, uh, one of the Ghostbusters. And Peter makes an insightful observation one day. Uh, He notes that men and women have a different approach to dirty laundry. Let's hear from Peter. There you go. That explains where all my shirts have been disappearing. You know, I've only worn them a few times and suddenly they're gone. That has perfect mileage in it. Just needed to be aerated for a little while. But there we go. It explains a, an insight into the dynamics of many families and marriages. How true. But with God, uh, spiritual uncleanness is black and white. Uh, there are no levels of laundry. Uh, there are no people with minor sins that just need to be aerated, and then they're clean again. Uh, Of course, if holiness is perfect purity, then by definition, it can't compromise on even the slightest sin. Now, one of my uh, favorite scripture classes uh, in the local schools incorporates a chemistry lesson. I love showing this to the kids. Um, I show them this to help illustrate them uh, to them what happens when Sinful people come into the presence of a holy God. And I introduce them to what happens when water touches an alkali metal. I'll show you a short clip.
think you get the idea. Do you want to see what happens with the big chunk? All right, we'll just see this one bit more. There you go. All right, that's enough. The kids all clamor for more. You can see why. But it brings home to us with devastating clarity what happens when a holy God mixes with sinful people. And without Christ, that's a prospect for all of us. Uh, none of us are perfect. We've all sinned, of course, and fallen short of the glory of God. But Christ makes a difference. And Christ makes a difference for the woman. Uh, she, of course, comes to him in faith. And he cleanses her. And he meets her deepest need. You see, on the one hand, God's message through the Levitical laws of uncleanness is this. Stop. But also, there is another voice of God we hear in the Levitical laws, and it is this, come, come. The very chapter after the uncleanness laws is chapter 16 of Leviticus, and that outlines the Day of Atonement. It's all, of course, about how the nation can be cleansed of its sins through a sacrifice, through that annual sacrifice. And that is the message of Leviticus. On the one hand, stop. There's a problem, but come. The holy God still desires to have relationship with a sinful people. And of course, the Day of Atonement points to the crowning Day of Atonement, that first Good Friday, the crucifixion of the Lamb of God who washes away the sin of the world. And then on the cross, that wonderful prediction of Isaiah chapter 1 comes true. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. When we read the uncleanness laws, maybe we feel, they seem a bit harsh, don't they? But what do they point to? They don't point to God's harshness, but to his holiness. But they also point to God's heart. Because God does not just say stop, but he says, come, I want relationship with you. And wonderfully, he provides a way. And the Lord Jesus is the way. And in Christ alone, of course, is that cleansing power. And when Christ calls this woman forward, she falls trembling at his feet. And she is petrified. And she's got good reason to be so. She knows she was in big trouble. She had breached the law. As we've seen, the Levitical code made it quite clear she was not allowed to touch other people. Otherwise, she made them unclean. And yet, what does she do? She touches Jesus. And according to the law, she has defiled him. And yet, wonderfully and mystically, he is not defiled. Rather than her touch defiling him, his purity cleanses her. It points to the, his total otherness. He is fully human, but he is also the incarnate Son of God. And he has the authority of the Son of God to cleanse all those who will come to him. 
and yet not be defiled by their touch. In closing, it's interesting to ask, uh, what would Jesus say to the defiled? Uh, It's interesting to ask, why didn't Jesus just let the woman slip away unnoticed? Uh, She had received the healing that she had come for. The reason that Jesus didn't let her slip away is he had something important to say to her. And in those words that he says to her are incredibly deep and profound truths which she needed to hear, and so do we today. So, uh, three truths in particular. What does Christ say to the defiled? And since we're all defiled before a holy God, what does Christ say to each of us? Uh, The first thing he says to us is, come, come to me. Come to me in faith, and I will cleanse you. It's quite probable that the woman came to Jesus with a mix of superstition and faith. Uh, It's quite likely she probably had a muddled understanding, but nevertheless, she came to Jesus. But Jesus wants the woman and the onlookers and also us today to know how she was healed. It was through faith in him, not her superstition. What does he say? Mark 5.34 again. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. There were no magical properties in his garments. Rather, it was the act of trusting him that enabled Jesus to heal her and to cleanse her. And so the first question that every person needs to answer is this. Have I come to Jesus in faith and asked him to cleanse me? As that wonderful hymn reminds us, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's the first thing that Christ says to the defiled. The second thing Christ says to the defiled who come to him in faith is this. Live out your new identity. Here was this woman. She was isolated. She was ostracized. Think about it. The relational fabric of her life had been totally destroyed. And yet, Jesus chooses his words very carefully. And what does he say to her? Daughter, your faith has healed you. What an interesting choice of phrase to address her. Daughter, it's one of the most intimate human relationships that is possible between a parent and a child. Daughter, it conveys such warmth of affection to her affection-starved heart. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's opening her eyes to a deeper reality. Through her faith in him, her relationship with God has been transformed. Jesus is saying something's changed. You've now been brought into intimate relationship with God. I, as God, now address you as daughter, and you are now a child of God. John 1 verse 12 reminds us, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become 
children of God. And so this woman had a new identity. And that new identity would be the bedrock of her life henceforth. Now you see, she was healed, but her problems were not over. Uh, She was still penniless. She was still friendless. Uh, She was divorced. And at that point, she was still excommunicated from the temple. And it would take time to restore her life. It would take time for people's suspicions to abate. Her reception back into respectable society would not be overnight. And therefore, the road ahead for this woman would have its dark corners. There would be difficult times ahead. And yet, what would keep her going in the dark times? It would be that word that Jesus uttered to her. She would remember it. Daughter. Daughter. I'm reading a great book at the moment called How People Change. It's by Paul Tripp and Timothy Lane. Uh, It's a great book. I'd really encourage you to read it. Uh, It's all about how we as Christians grow. And one of the things I've picked up on, uh, which they've uh, just mentioned in the chapter I've read, is that one of the ways that Christians grow is that our new identity in Christ sinks down deeper into our hearts. Our new identity in Christ the fact that we are children of God, that fact goes from our heads to our hearts. And in different spheres of life, we then start to have that impact, actually that reality impact how we then live and how we respond. If I am a child of God, then in this trouble, that means I'm secure, even though I'm in a dark place. And so therefore, this new identity It plays out in different spheres of life and it carries us forward. And we remember, Jesus says to us, daughter, son. That's the second thing that Jesus says to the defiled, to live out our new identity. And finally, the third thing that Jesus says to the defiled who have come to him in faith is, tell others, tell others what I have done for you. Jesus calls her forward, but why does he do it? He's not trying to embarrass the woman. Rather, he's giving her the opportunity to glorify God. And he's also ministering to the needs of all those who are in the crowd listening on. As they hear her story, and as they realize what Christ has done for her, that is going to impact them as well. And now all those people listening to this woman recount with trembling voice what Jesus has done for her, they're going to go, wow, that's what Jesus can also do for me. And so, if we're a Christian, if we're somebody who has had our soul cleansed by Jesus when we've come to him in faith, Jesus says this, don't just keep it to yourself. Share your wondrous story when the opportunity presents itself with others. And in sharing our story with others, we bring glory to God. And in sharing our story with others, we will cause some of the crowd who look onto our lives to ask those same questions. Maybe Jesus could do that for me.
and in sharing our story with others. Maybe others in the crowds around us will be moved to put their faith in Jesus. And therefore, why not pray this week? Lord, is there someone with whom I can share my story of what you have done for me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this touching, moving, and incredibly powerful story of this woman and her cleansing, not just her physical cleansing and healing, but that unseen, deeper cleansing you did in her heart, which enabled you to address her as daughter and which brought her into the kingdom of God. Thank you for that wonderful cleansing that you do of every person. And we pray that we would increasingly live out that identity as sons and daughters of you, that we would revel in the security and the comfort that that can bring us even in dark times, and that we would indeed hold out this wondrous story of what you've done in our lives to others around us. And we pray this to your glory. Amen.